please have a seat. And, and do you pick up your Bible if you have one. We're in Jeremiah chapter 1, starting a new series today in this Old Testament prophet. Jeremiah chapter 1. If you're using one of these red church Bibles, they're on page 755, 755. We're going to read the whole chapter 1 together. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north, I answered. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all those who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against her, all, they will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshipping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overthrow you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Well, thanks, Josh. If you could have your Bibles open, we're going to look at that chapter now. And um, just before we start, this morning's sermon is going to be a bit of an introductory sermon um, to the book of, of Jeremiah. So we're going to be, it's going to be slightly bittier than usual. Um, we're going to be looking, at, start, we're going to start by looking at why we need to read this book uh, uh, today. We're going to be looking at the background of Jeremiah. We're going to be looking um, at the call of Jeremiah and at how we apply 
uh, this chapter to our lives today. So it's going to be slightly bitty, but do keep that, uh, keep that passage open in front of you. If you don't have it open in front of you, uh, well, shuffle up to someone who has, or, um, or, 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 or if, actually, if you've got a bit of courage, just put your hand up, and, and, and there are some Bibles over there. A, a deacon will come and, and bring one to you. Great. Well done. Good. I'm glad that you've... Oh, just one Bible over there. Can we... Uh, can we... Uh, thanks so much. Great. Okay. Well done. Very brave. Let's, let's look at this passage now. Let me start by uh, telling you a little bit of a story about a man called Larry Walters. He lived in Los Angeles about 20 years ago, and all his, his life he wanted to fly aeroplanes. He tried to get into the U.S. Air Force, uh, but his eyesight was too bad, and so he became a pilot. Um, and he ended up, uh, no, sorry, he didn't become a pilot, sorry. His eyesight was too bad. He became a truck driver. There it is. He became a truck driver. Um, but on his retirement, he decided that he would fly if it was the last thing he would do. So he went down to the local Army and Navy store and bought 45 weather balloons and several tanks of helium gas. Now, the weather balloon is not a brightly colored balloon that you get at parties. They're industrial size and strength, about four feet across, and they can lift a good weight when they're inflated. So he filled them up and strapped them to his garden lawn chair and tied the chair to his Jeep. He took a BB gun with him and some sandwiches for the ride, and his plan was to drift gently into the air on his lawn chair, have a few sandwiches whilst hovering gently above his neighborhood, and by shooting the balloons one at a time with the pellet gun, he would gently pop enough uh, to, to, to bring him back down to the earth. But the plan went wrong from the outset when the rope that he'd tied to the jeep came loose and, and uh, rather than gently waft to a height of 50 feet or so, he actually found himself shooting up um, to a height of 11,000 feet. <laughs> By which time he was too scared to do anything, let alone shoot any of the balloons with the pellet gun. So rather than a lazy afternoon pootling merrily above his his neighborhood, he actually drifted high above the city of Los Angeles for 14 hours. But the story doesn't stop there because after about four hours, the wind blew him into the approach corridor of LA International Airport. Allegedly, an American Airlines pilot radioed the control tower to report that he'd just passed someone in a lawn chair at 11,000 feet with a gun in his lap. Eventually, though, the rescue services were alerted, and after many attempts to help, he made it back down to the earth, shaken but safe, and he was arrested on the spot. <laughs> when you hear someone, when you hear a story like that, you tend to think, hey, Walter was a bit eccentric, but he deserved uh, what he got. And the reason why I tell you this story is that that description, the guy was a bit eccentric but, and he deserved what he got, is something people could think when, they con- when they're confronted with Jeremiah the prophet. He seems to be an eccentric who didn't know when to keep his mouth shut. And so it's no surprise that people mistreated him so badly. It seems as though he, got, he deserved what he got. But Jeremiah is in the Bible for a reason. And we're not to dismiss him as a slightly bonkers man like Walter. There's a reason this book is there. And we have got to work out why. Why is it in the Bible? Why is it relevant for today? Why does God put it here so we, 21st century English people, need to read it? What's its relevance? 
Well, the biggest thing to say about Jeremiah is that it's brutally honest about the lack of holiness amongst God's people. And it shows the truth about where their sinful hearts lead. It's a hard message. But actually, when you look at the Bible as a whole, a third of the Bible is prophecy like Jeremiah, challenging God's people to turn back to his ways. When you say a third of the Bible is like Jeremiah, it says God takes sin seriously. And he wants his people to listen to his word and obey his word and to grow in holiness. And that's the reason why we need to listen to Jeremiah today. Because the hearts of God's people have not changed. We're still driven by our sinful hearts. And today, through God's word, he calls us out of our apathy towards sin and into holiness. You know, I say it, I've said it a number of times this year. Don Carson has said time and time again, people do not drift into holiness. We don't just drift into a nice relationship with God. We have to fight our sinful hearts and work at applying his words to us today. And it's a hard message that we read as we work through Jeremiah, but it's a glorious message when we hear it and we understand it and we apply it because it leads to God's people being more like Jesus. That's why we need to read Jeremiah today. So let's look at the background then. And, and basically, when we read the first three verses, they are the background to the whole book of Jeremiah. It's great when you've got context right in the first three verses of a book. You don't have to do huge amounts of digging. So let me read it to you. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. So Jeremiah tells us here that he comes from a line of priests, and this is the first thing he says, he's from a line of priests who no longer um, served in the temple in Jerusalem. That temple was the heartbeat of the nation. It's, uh, it's, where, it's where the people that where, where everything was basically happening. And rather than being there, he actually was found in a forgotten backwater, Anathoth. So although it meant he was serving outside the political and spiritual elite, what it does do is it gives Jeremiah a distanced vantage point to look in at the way the priesthood of the temple was being corrupted by corrupt kings and foreign gods from other nations. That's why Anathoth, that's why a forgotten priest in a forgotten backwater. But secondly, Jeremiah also tells us that he was called during the reign of Josiah, king of Judah. The year, according to our calendar, was 627 BC. So you've got to see naught AD, naught BC, as the birth of Jesus. That's our our calendar. Um, We're at 2019 AD, and then it goes backwards numerically from 0 AD. So the more it is, the further back it goes. So 1000 BC is further away from 0 AD than 500. You get it? So 627 BC is the year. 
It was around 400 years after the great kings of Israel, David and Solomon. They mark a golden time in the history of Israel. What happened under them was glorious, close relationship with God in the temple that Solomon built. But since those times, Israel had gone steadily away from God. And after Solomon died, actually the country split into two. The north kingdom, as you can see, was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. That southern kingdom of Judah was the side that remained loyal to the descendants of David and Solomon. Uh, And Israel just found kings of their own. But around 720 BC, so closer to our time, about a hundred years before Jeremiah, Israel, the northern kingdom, was invaded and wiped off the the map by an Assyrian empire. And the Bible describes this in 2 2 Kings 17. Um, The reason why it happened is because the northern kingdom of Israel had increasingly turned away from worshipping the God of Israel and instead turned to worshipping false idols. From this point on, the southern kingdom of Judah, where Jeremiah was based, also slowly drifted away from God until finally, in 586 BC, about 40 years after Jeremiah's call, the Babylonian Empire invaded Judah, destroying Jerusalem and the temple and taking many Jews into captivity, or as verse 3 describes, exile. And the third thing that Jeremiah hints at is the turbulent times that he ministered in. So Jeremiah began his ministry under King Josiah. What King Josiah tried to do was spiritual revival. Uh, His dad was an evil man who led the people of Israel away from God. But when Josiah became king, he discovered God's word hidden in the temple and he listened to it. And he turned away from false idols and tried to reform the country spiritually too. Jeremiah, at the same time, was called um, into preaching this word. But because the people were so hard of heart, because of Manasseh, Josiah's dad, they didn't like Jeremiah and they didn't like Josiah. Josiah tried his hardest, but the people were still hard of heart. So Jeremiah was rejected. Josiah ultimately was rejected. When his son Jehoiakim became king, and everything went backwards again, spiritually. So Jeremiah takes God's word to the rebellious, arrogant people of Judah. Jehoiakim dies. His son become king. Jehoiakim actually is taken into exile. His son become, becomes king, and and ultimately, 586 BC, the Babylonian Empire destroys the temple and takes many, many people into exile. Jeremiah preaches right through this time, turbulent times, the same word, hear the word of the Lord, repent, turn back to God, time and time again. And that's the background of Jeremiah. That brings us to our second part of, 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 um, of this morning, which is the calling of the prophet God's call on Jeremiah, that's the second point, and there are two sub-points here. The first is God calls Jeremiah. God calls Jeremiah. Look with me at verse 4 to 8. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God starts off by reminding Jeremiah of his sovereign will over Jeremiah's life. 
This is a calling that's not a desperate response to circumstances that God cannot control. God hasn't got the wrong person or the wrong address. Rather, the opposite is true. God is saying to Jeremiah, look, Jeremiah, before you were born, I have called you to do this. All time, all nations, all circumstances are under my control, and I have planned them out before you were ever known. But Jeremiah's response is genuine shock. In verse 6, he says, but alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. It's like many prophets who had gone before them. They see the weight of what God has called them to do, and it's so, so big. They've all basically said, Moses, Isaiah, Elijah, they're great prophets of the Bible, but they all basically say, the responsibility is too great. Someone like me is not good enough. There are loads of better people. There are more mature people. There are cleverer people. There are less messed up people. Why choose me? Many of us will remember those first few minutes when our firstborn came home the first time from the hospital. I clearly remember bringing Sam into the house in his car seat and putting him on the floor of the lounge and going into the kitchen and making myself a cup of tea. And I, I remember that, that moment of shock, almost horror, forgive me, Sam, as I came out of the kitchen with my cup of tea and saw that the person who that child belonged to hadn't taken them with them. And then I realized that actually that was me. And I realized that he was not going anywhere for a very, very long time. And then I realized this is a big responsibility. It, was kind of, it took me a long time to work that out. But, but Jeremiah's reaction is the same. I see the responsibility that you're giving me, Lord, and it's too big. I'm too young. I don't know how to speak very well. But God reassures him. Verse 7 to 9. Do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. That's God's response. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. Just trust me. Trust me, says the Lord. What's even more wonderful about God is he doesn't just go, trust me. Actually, he reaches out his hand and touches Jeremiah's mouth. Verse 9, the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God touches Jeremiah's mouth. It's a re-emphasis of his seal of approval, a sign that he's giving Jeremiah the words to say and the courage to say them. It's a marker that his mouth belongs to God. And he will speak God's word over the nations. And then God tells him what his life work will be. Negatively, he will uproot. He will tear down. He will destroy. He will overthrow. There's the power of God's word. Through God's little, young, weak, helpless, rubbish speaker man. Powerful, isn't it? Those reflect the fact that much of his prophecy was about the coming judgment of God over Israel and the surrounding nations. And yet positively, there's a, a, a hope here. He is to build and to plant. The days were coming, says God, when God would renew his people 
and his covenant would be restored with them. And it would be by his word. Isn't that interesting? And then God sends the prophet. That's the second part of this. God sends the prophet. So having called Jeremiah, God gives him two visions that tell him what he is to preach to the people of Israel. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. So in this first vision that Jeremiah is given, he sees the branch of an almond tree, and that's a kind of a pun. The Hebrew word for almond tree is very similar to the Hebrew word for watched. So in this first vision, God says to Jeremiah, he will be watching over his word. It will be fulfilled. This prophecy will be carried out. God will ensure it because he is watching over it. And in a sense, this is Jeremiah's yardstick. So over the next 40 years, as he adds to the book of Jeremiah, remember he doesn't just sit down and write this all at once. It's over a period of 40 years. So as he adds to it, what you get is the word of the Lord came to me, appearing over 50 times in its various forms. As the word of the Lord came to me is added to the book of Jeremiah, what you get is this yardstick. What is true at the beginning is still true at the end. If you want to see that God is watching over his word, then the word of the Lord has come to me and goes to the nations and goes to Israel and it is true because God is watching over it. That is the power of God's word. Whatever you see as you read in the book of Jeremiah is fulfilled both then and through the person of Jesus and will be fulfilled at his second coming. That is the framework of fulfillment of Jeremiah's word. So when we read God is watching over his word, it is a powerful, careful, deliberate, perfect decision by God to say and to act according to his word. That is wonderful, isn't it? That is powerful. The second vision where Jeremiah sees a boiling top pot tipping from the north over Israel, it's a clarification of the first. God gets specific. The judgment that Jeremiah was to speak of would come from the gathering threat of the Babylonians to the north. So having called Jeremiah and given him his word, God then tells Jeremiah to go. Look at verse 17 with me. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and the people of the land. They will fight against you but will not overcome you for I am with you and I will rescue you. The odds, Jeremiah, are going to be ridiculously against you. It will seem as though the whole nation doesn't like you or your message, but I will make you stand because this is my word, says the Lord. It's a comforting commission. Jeremiah, I have your tongue. And it's a bold commission. Jeremiah, everyone will dislike you. But I will, I will hold you fast. 
But this comes to the, this brings us to the, the last section of our, our, our time this morning, because we've got to work out, well, how does this apply to us today? Well, the first thing that we've got to not do is say, Jeremiah equals us. We've not, we, we've got to not say, Jeremiah equals us. Because that's assuming that God's word applies to others and not to ourselves. You see, even if we teach the Bible regularly, whether it's in small groups or children's groups or or preaching, we actually first ought to be applying God's word to ourselves first. So rather than seeing ourselves as Jeremiah proclaiming God's word to the children or, or people that we are preaching to or sharing with or reading the Bible with, actually we've got to say, actually, I'm the person opposed to Jeremiah. This word of Jeremiah is for me, first and foremost. Jeremiah is preaching God's word to me. I am not preaching Jeremiah's word to other people. We've got to come alongside the audience, not the prophet. And we've also got to filter these prophecies through the lens of Jesus, because Jesus is God's greater prophet to his people. So as we read through this book, we've got to listen. In effect, we've got to realize, just as Jeremiah brought God's word to God's people then, so Jesus brings his word to God's people now. Jesus' words is powerful. They are powerful, they are true, they are trustworthy. And blessed is the person who listens to them and bows down in worship to him. And it means any other response to Jesus' word is doing God our own way. Any other response is refusing to listen to the challenge of God's word to break us out of our waywardness. It's why we spend half of our time on Sunday mornings fellowshipping together in God's word because this is Jesus' message to us. And therefore, I hope our attitude as we come here is to rejoice in the corporate worship, rejoice in the corporate prayer, but listen to the word of God. And apply it and humbly put ourselves under it and listen to the challenge of it and feel the power of God's word calling us out of waywardness. Whether it's waywardness in thought, whether it's waywardness in action, this is God's word. So to tie it into this word that Jeremiah was called to preach... Let's be confident that Jesus is watching over his word. Not just the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah, but the fulfillment of all his word. And it means that God's word is not weak. And we really need to press a reset button on this one because modern Christianity uses the Bible more as a comfort blanket than a sword. Let me give you an example for that. Young people, you can look up now and and, and look at me. Thank you. Young people, let me just ask you very quickly, when you get those cards for exam time, how often have you had the the words of Jeremiah, for for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and, and, and not to harm you, plans to give you strength and a future. Often we write those things in uh, in, in, in our cards that we send to young people as they're preparing and sitting down for exams. What we don't write is, is Psalms, Psalm, uh, Proverbs 6, verse 6. Look to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. What we don't write is Proverbs 6, verse 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a vagabond and want like an armed man. 
There is God's word being applied. Why? Young people, let me tell you this. If you consider the ant and, and, and learn her ways and be wise, whatever happens in your exam, you will learn a work ethic that you will take into the future and you will not regret. The Bible is comforting. Don't dismiss the comfort of it. But let's, let's not consider it weak. Let's start using the Bible, not, not using the coming under the Bible as its authoritative word for us today and applying it powerfully and joyfully to one another. Not to do that is like a soldier taking a gun into a, into a battle and using it as a walking stick. Let's come under God's word. Let's, let's press the reset button. God's word is not just a comfort blanket. It is a sword. That changes our minds, our hearts, our attitude, our thinking, our ways. God's word is powerful. Let's see it that way once more. God is watching. Jesus is watching over his way, uh, over his word. But we must also reflect on that boiling pot. This is God's word, that boiling pot coming from the north. And see that Jesus fulfills that too. You see, he is the fulfillment of the prophecy of judgment over God's people. So all the sin described in graphic detail in this book, all the disgust and hatred that God has for his wayward people was poured out on Jesus as he hung on the cross. All the curses and consequences of the people's sin were poured out on him too, like a boiling pot tipped towards the cross. He took the judgment of God's wrath that we might not have to and therefore we are to be humbled by his work, the greater prophet dying for God's people. So Jeremiah is a sobering book. And we're not to dismiss the next few weeks as the ramblings of an eccentric balloon man. We said at the beginning of the, at the beginning, the book of Jeremiah focuses on the lack of holiness amongst God's people and where their sinful hearts lead. God wants us to listen to his word. He is watching over it. He wants us to obey it, to revere it, to revel in it. And grow in holiness, that's what God's word does for us. So let's be praying over the next few weeks that as we look at this book together, he would open our eyes to our sin and listen to his call for holiness, that our lives would be transformed and reflect the glory of our Savior as a result. And let's press that reset button on our attitude towards God's word. This time together is glorious. This time together is a precious moment in our week, just like our, re- just like our daily reading. And that is the treasure point of our week, to open the powerful, challenging, joyful word of God that makes us more like Jesus and to apply it to ourselves. To miss out on that is to miss out on God's watching over us. And we're to reflect on that boiling pot, of, of that, that, pot that, that pot of 
that pot boiling over Israel and to regard that as the wrath of God that our Savior took, that we might know him. There's Jeremiah chapter 1. It's a challenging chapter, isn't it? And this will be a challenging time together as we go through the book of Jeremiah. But we're to remember this is the words of Jesus. He is the fulfillment. He is the promise. Let's praise him for his word this morning. Let's do that now together in prayer. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise you that your word is powerful. Your word is mighty. Your word reveals your will to us. Your your word reveals the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Father God, the more we look at you, the more we realize how sinful we are and how much we need your word. The more we look at your word, the more we realize how wonderful you are that you draw us to yourself. Oh, Father God, as we read this book of Jeremiah together over the coming weeks, may you change us by your word. May we be struck by how powerful, how glorious, how joyful, how mighty, how wonderful your word is and how, how we know you through it. May we be drawn more and more by your word into a relationship with you that we might be made more like Jesus. Lord, may this be a precious time as we look through this book. May this be a time where we are challenged by your word to look at our sin, to turn away from it, to look at our saviour and follow him. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.